Hey, this is Vanessa. This is Carlos. And you're listening to Retro Ad Review. This is a podcast where we select a couple of random old TV commercials and review them. So if you like commercials, listen in. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Retro Ad Review. Hey, everybody. So it's been a little while, so we're back with looking at the commercials. And today we're looking at, it's kind of confusing. (laughs) Because it was summer, we were looking at movies, even though a lot of these don't exactly fit into summer. No, they don't. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of these are like winter movies. Or something. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is a sequel to a previous episode we did. I guess I'll have to cut in the name because I don't remember exactly what we called it. <laughs> it is called "Commercials Featuring Movie Product Tie-ins Part 2. But before we did sequels of three movies, and now we are doing the first movie in the series that we previously recorded it'll make sense it'll make sense when we splice stuff in especially if you listen to both so that yeah, would exactly this is, numbers i guess this will encourage you to listen to the previous episode we're gonna make our podcast series a convoluted uh just lore just so much lore like in jokes and stuff self-referential Oh yeah, yeah. It's just it's too it's too much of its own universe. So to simplify it, we're looking at movies. <laughs> we go back to our previous episode to look at the sequel to the movies we're about to talk about. So as is the case with most of our our commercials, and is the case with um just commercials, I guess capitalism in general, they're trying to sell you something. So in these, we're looking at products being sold related to these movies. So. Let's kick off with the first one, which you can find on YouTube, and it is called Kenner Toys 8-Inch Alien 1979. 18-inch. 18-inch. 18-foot alien. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say here is there's a big alien, and the movie that we're looking at and the product we're looking at is related to Alien. So let's hear it right now. Kenner presents new alien action figure. Do you know what I really like about this commercial? (laughs) The voice of the guy. (laughs) Yes, I like the voice. There's a lot of things I like about this commercial. I like the, because it's so, like, it's an older commercial. It has the fuzz, the noise, because it's so low quality. Yeah. The old uh, 70s voice and stuff. But what I really like is I feel like they've absolutely captured what little kids do when they're playing. Yeah. And the kids look like they were having fun. Because if you watch Alien, Alien is not called Alien. Um, Alien doesn't talk. Alien doesn't go, another win for Alien. You know, so it's just kind of like a bunch of kids in the house playing with a giant 18-inch figurine, and they'll just make up whatever the hell story they want. Yeah, they have like a, they have an over a foot tall toy and they just shove it in the Batmobile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is exactly how children would use it. And I'm not quite sure if they were intending for the for the direction of this commercial to take that path. But I think, uh, I think it's far more realistic in terms of how kids end up playing with toys. Like I, I would, I would suspect Alien will eventually meet Barbie, just because that's usually what ends up happening. I like how you're using it as his proper name now. It's his proper name according to this commercial. So, and it's one alien as well. Like he's the main guy. It's like Predator, except also Predator is part of a clan. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so the commercial itself, if you haven't seen it. It is is very much a 1970s or late 70s commercial. We would know as we were alive back then. And it shows three kids playing with... Like, this is a huge figurine. This is a huge figurine. It's like an 18-inch doll. And he's got like 
articulated points and stuff like that. If you press his head, a little alien, that tiny alien pops out of its mouth. I don't know enough about alien to be like, what's the word, knowledgeable on what that thing's called, but, you know, bear with it. Anyway, one kid is playing as, according to this commercial, alien, the name of the alien. And the other two kids are wandering around a, a room and they're pretending like they're in a spaceship or something trying to hide from the alien. So essentially that's the entirety of the commercial. One kid has a really classic 70s, early 80s look where he's got a bowl haircut and brown <laughs> glasses. He looks like a nerd. Like it's just kind of, it was the look of kids back then. And that's pretty much the entire commercial. Two kids are being chased by this giant figurine who is controlled by another child has a voice and talks and is called alien at the very end the two kids run out of the room to escape alien and then it like zooms in on the alien's face and the little boy's voice is going aha i don't know the exact words like another win for alien or something so he's like alien is talking and then the final shot is just the alien figurine on a plain white background with the font logo of alien and it says trade like alien tm it's trademark. that's pretty much it that's the entirety of the commercial so it's it's like they potentially handed a camera to a family and went look here's an alien here's a camera record your kids playing because <laughs> that that's the what is it cinema verite <laughs> very 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 real because we have giant aliens in real life <laughs> yeah so I have to say I'm blown away by this commercial. Well, I'm actually, well, I'm kind of blown away is the wrong word, but I like, like the I just like the kind of style. This is a really stripped down version. I think commercials weren't uh, exactly doing like big momentous things. They were still kind of plain, but this, um, this alien is so impressive. Like it's huge. I like how tall it is and it's uh, very detailed. It's so big. It's like the biggest alien. It's as big as it's as big as the alien guy. It's bigger than a ruler. It's bigger than the guy who played the alien in the suit, who was pretty tall. Yeah, he's uh, pretty tall. From what I understand. Would you like to know details about it? Uh, about the guy or the movie? <laughs> the movie. Okay, yeah. yeah. Let me know. Let me know about what's what's the story on the movie. Doesn't it star the guy from Millennium? I only know him from Millennium. He's in the Aliens, the sequel. Oh, he's in Aliens. Yeah, you're right. Fine, whatever. All right, so yeah, yeah. go on. All right, so Alien was released in 1979, but it had a backstory, of course. The script was written by Dan O'Bannon. He originally wrote a comedy science fiction film called Dark Star, but when he showed it to the audience, they didn't laugh, and he was sad about that. Oh, that's sad. I feel bad now. So he wanted to do the same thing, but scary, because comedy's more subjective than fear. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Like, if we all saw a shark, we'd probably be scared, but if someone made someone laugh, it's like, that's not funny, or the other person thought it was. That's a fair comment, though. Yeah. He wrote the original story with Ron Shusset, and after that, he got to working with Jodorowsky's Ill-Fated Dune. I heard a lot about that movie. Yeah, it was supposed to be like 14 hours if you filmed it. Oh, that's stupid. <laughs> Where he ran into the work of H.R. Giger, a famous Swiss monster maker. But uh, <laughs> this is probably what put him on the map i think o'bannon became broke after the movie fell apart and he had to move in with shuset where they continue to work on the movie because he's like i have nothing so i'm gonna put my eggs in this basket because i need something to happen for me because i don't have any money initially called star beast that's an awful name star beast star beast makes me think of like b movie yeah a b movie like um like it's a hairy monster, kind of like American Werewolf. I don't know something like that. <laughs> but in space, I guess. But they eventually decided to call it Alien because it sounded like an alien creature and something that is alien to us. Oh, ooh, 
it is a much better name. I mean, it is really plain and simple. And if this movie was a flop, I probably would be like, that's not a good name. <laughs> but it's much better than Star Beast. So at least it's got that going for it. Yeah, imagine if the whole series was Star Beast 2, Star Beast Resurrection and all that. They pitched it as Jaws in Space. And later on, when he came to direct, director Ridley Scott called it the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of Science Fiction. Okay. As he wanted to emphasize the, uh, the horror elements rather than uh, than science fiction stuff. Oh, okay. I get it. They made a deal with the company Brandywine. And Brandy Ryan was afraid of releasing a niche science fiction film. So they kind of shelled it for a while. Then in 1977, Star Wars came about and it exploded and it made a whole lot of money. And everyone's like, hey, let's rip this off. (laughs) (laughs) The ticket is space movies. The ticket is rip off what's popular, kind of make it yours and hope it's different enough that people will remember (laughs) or at least get money now. (laughs) After rewrites and adding the robot subplot, which wasn't initially in there. It went to several directors, and it came to director Ridley Scott. He liked the script, and he was like, I want to freaking do this. They contacted H.R. Giger to design the monsters, and he sent back the facehugger, the xenomorph, and eggs, and he also worked, okay. on, he also worked on the planet where they found the, uh, the engineer. I can't believe that, though. What? That they got Wiggly Scott. Nah, um... I, that he just made up like the face hugger and stuff like that. It's like he did some doodles and I'm like, what do you think of this? Yeah, but he drew, he drew it really well. They're so cool looking though. Like Eager stuff is really neat looking. Yeah. Maybe, but you know. He drew it like a hand and the xenomorph was, I think it's like his most tied to thing to him because uh, he, he mentions that in one of the interviews. He's like, uh, I guess I'm going to be remembered as the guy who made the xenomorph. <laughs> People always know me as the, the father of this alien, and uh, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. He based the planet off organic material, so it looks like you're in like a, a rib cage, like a row of bones and stuff. Oh, well. He came on board the movie for the designs, and Scott waited for to show everyone the alien after it was done. And then I was like, wow, that's really good. And it's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> the Nostromo, uh, the outer part, they had to use like forklifts to lift it up. The and Nostromo. The ins- what a the name. And then inside they had like, they said they wanted to make it look scary. So they wanted to make it look like a cathedral. So all the blinking lights kind of looked the same like candles. Mm. So it could have a more eerie feel. And it was meant to be claustrophobic because uh, you had to run through all the pipes and stuff. And since Sigourney Weaver was so tall, she That's had to she? She's like six feet tall. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> she had to duck up through a bunch of pipes a little bit. So you can kind of see it when she's running. I'm surprised she didn't like slam her head into one at some point. <laughs> Maybe she did. I guess she had to do several takes a lot (laughs) and the music was composed by jerry goldsmith jerry goldsmith jerry goldsmith initially they wanted other people but the studio was like hey uh jerry goldsmith they reused some of his other work in the film too so they're like that's kind of cheap and i think jerry goldsmith was upset about that too oh and the editors liked the temporary score so much that they just kept some of it in there. So that's it was just, <laughs> it interesting. It's a bit of a hack job, <laughs> but I guess it still became effective because, like, oh, the alien's scary. <laughs> the cast, they were a bit older, so they looked like ordinary workers trying to survive. They said that they wanted to make them relatable. They were just average workers, just far off into the future. They had people like John Hurt, Tom Skerritt, Yafikoto. They had a kitty cat. <laughs> the two women were Sigourney Weaver and Veronica Cartwright. Veronica Cartwright read for Ripley about four times, so she oh, was wow. sure, she was sure she got the role. And even her agent was like, "Yeah, you're Ripley," but they uh... eventually told her, "No, you're Lambert." And Ripley's known as like one of the 
strong women in movies and how it changed it and everything. But Lambert was weaker and she would cry a lot and she was scared because oh, okay. probably, you know, you'd be scared of a giant alien, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they said that she acted better scared, so that's why she got the role. Oh, okay. She said <laughs> later that it's probably politics because Sigourney Weaver's father was... He could pull strings if oh, it was okay. internal I, nepo politics, though. For for as much as I know a bit about this kind of stuff, but like some of this stuff, I have just no concept. Like, oh, okay, her dad, somebody, oh, it's this person did it three times, and this is like a really famous film. So you'd think these things yeah. would come your way ever. I mean, to be honest, like to be fair to me, I only saw Alien for the first time maybe like three years ago. I remember we first saw it all together. It was like, like, wow, this is cool. This is really good. And then we watched the second one. It's like, this is a different movie. (laughs) But it's still good. What was your favorite part? Alien blasting out of the... Yes. At the end. It just looks really weird. Anyway, go on. Sorry. All right. Other than Cartwright, other people who read for it was Dame Helen Mirren. She said she liked the gender-neutral aspect of Ripley and how she could play it, but they didn't like her for the role. And it boiled down to two people, Sigourney Weaver and Meryl Streep. Wow, Meryl Streep? What is she doing reading for that? That's weird. They kind of leaned toward Meryl Streep, but she, uh, her partner in real life, he died Aww. of cancer. So Aww. like, uh, you probably should let her grieve and do all this stuff rather than show her in a movie in a foreign country because it was a British uh, production. Right. So then they went with Sigourney Weaver. and were, She was the youngest of the cast. She was 28 at the time and oh. Veronica Cartwright was 30, but everybody else was kind of like aging up there. Yeah, they're older. They're workers, remember? Yeah, that's what it was. That is cool, though. Alien is very unique. It's, an, it's a different... It feels very different. It feels like it's from its time, like late seventies. Feels like a monster, yeah. But um, but yeah, it feels like a weird monster horror movie, and all the people are older, which isn't typical for these types of films anyway. It's usually like a bunch of buff dudes or pretty trying people. to take down the predator. <laughs> yeah, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, like today, you he wouldn't fit, but you'd have like Harry Styles shoved in there just because he's popular. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> it's like he might pull it off, he might not, but he's there. <laughs> I do like the fact, because it's also horror and like horror science fiction skew younger, I suspect, a lot in terms of yeah. people going to the theater, right? So it's like you want younger people to be, to you want it to be about younger people or whatever. So they can relate to it, so I guess. It's just interesting that they had a lot of older, older fellas, like, because they're like mind workers, aren't they, essentially, in this film? Yeah, they're like pulling they're stuff just workers. Out. Yeah, they're blue collar, a gray collar, I guess. Cause it's you're a good space. film that warranted an 18-inch doll. <laughs> uh, the thing that sold the movie to the studios, even after Star Wars and stuff, was the chest burster. They tried to keep it as hidden as possible so the reactions would be more genuine. And it affected Veronica Cartwright because they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. So when the alien finally burst out of the chest, a bunch of blood sprayed on her face. She was like, what the heck? I was scared. (laughs) O'Bannon said he wanted to scare and attack the audience. In an interview, he uses a bit of (laughs) harsh language. That sounds weird. I'll probably edit in here. One thing that people are all disturbed about is sex. Everybody is always all in a knot about sex. I said, that's how I'm going to attack the audience. And uh, he said it was about a man giving birth. That's pretty scary. So, <laughs> And it was also inspired by his Crohn's disease because after he got broke, he was just like, oh, my stomach hurts, my everything hurts. And no one could uh, diagnose it until later on. They're like, oh, it's probably Crohn's disease. It's like, oh, okay. He said it felt like uh, someone, was, something was trying to crawl out of him. And then he thought it was just the stress, but then it was Crohn's disease, which I guess sucks. Yeah, Crohn's disease isn't nice. Yeah. I see all the commercials about pills and stuff, and they're like, oh, that sounds horrible. And then the chest burster would grow into Giger's The Alien, or as the commercial calls it, Alien. 
as in his proper name. <laughs> the alien was played by Bolaji Badejo. Oh. A six foot ten. The tall guy. The tall guy that went in the suit. Super tall. He was six foot ten Nigerian art student. And during one of the breaks, they saw him in a pub. And they were like, whoa, this dude's freaking tall and stuff. I've just seen a guy in a pub, and, I th and I've got his name and his number, and I think he's the guy you want. Do you want to see him? And that was when he saw Balaji, uh, Bajero. This guy's big. He could be an alien. He could be alien from the famous movie Alien. Ridley Scott was scared that everyone, because he wanted to take it seriously, not just throw out a B-movie. He was like, I want it to look real, and Giger's thing looks amazing, so I don't want it to look like a puppet. And then people are like, oh, man, it's a, it's a puppet. So, Badejo's lanky, slim build. He had, like, really long arms and legs, and he was pretty thin. Hmm. It, it would make the long arms look better and stuff. Oh, cool. And also, to make it not look like a puppet, they had darkness, and they didn't show it too much, so it's, like, suspenseful, because the scariest thing is, like, don't show the monster, so they only kept it sparse in showing what he blasts his face at you and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so it was just kind of like very much hidden in the darkness and yeah. it was an aesthetic choice, but also they kind of needed it so it didn't look like a giant puppet man suit. Yeah, and it was Badejo's only acting role, kind of like the little girl in the next movie. Newt was only in that one movie. Oh, it's a good little girl. So, as you expected, it was a box office and critical success. Which is kind of strange. I, I I guess because I didn't live back then. This I was always under the shadow that it was amazing and everything. So I guess they liked it back then too. It earned over one hundred eighty-four million dollars. Wow! It has gained seminal status as an iconic piece of science fiction and horror, like mixing it together. Because again, is it, you could just put it in a cabin and a guy with a knife, and it's the same movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> in a warehouse, it's the same movie. It was a great career boost to Sigourney Weaver and is arguably her defining character. Yeah, it is. She played it first one. The second one, uh, it got her the most recognition. I think that's the one that she was nominated or she got the Academy Award. I forgot. What? And uh, 1992's Alien 3, she didn't want to do it anymore, so she had killed off, but she returned in the fourth one. And she was good. Alien 3 was in 92? Yeah. Wow. She was going to return in a fifth one, written by the guy from uh, District 9. Oh, District 9. Yeah, in 2015, she wanted to return as Ridley, but it fell through, and now she's like, I'm done with Ridley. But she said it before, maybe she's going to come back, even though she's much older. Yeah, I don't know. Probably better not to. You know, I, I said no like 50,000 times before, and now I've sort of learned not to do that, because it, it is science fiction and anything can happen. And I think her last Ridley role was in, I mean, Ripley. This has happened to me the whole time. Ripley. Ridley. Ridley's from, like, Metroid. <laughs> yeah, which was probably named after Ridley Scott. Yeah. So Ellen Ripley, she played, she, the last time she played it was in uh, the Alien Isolation video game. Oh, okay. Oh, that and, was fairly recent, wasn't it? I heard it was yeah. really scary. I actually have it, but, like, I don't know. I've never <laughs> played it because I... I have it, but I haven't played it. I've become too much of a wiener where I don't want to play scary games by myself. <laughs> At night. And it became a huge hit and spawned a franchise. Oh, I thought it's a, I thought you were going to say French. It, was like, <laughs> it spawned a French guy. And uh, other than the first and the second one, I think it's like hit and miss people are like that. And they're coming with a I think a Hulu FX series with oh. uh, aliens. I was unaware. Okay. That's and as part of the merchandising, Kenner made these toys, but because even within the production, they wanted to keep Giger's uh, alien secret, the merchandise was coming out. So they couldn't show what the alien was. So they were under embargo. <laughs> so a lot of, yeah. So a lot of stuff they had, there was one that they had like, an alien claw fist that's about as much as they could show and there was a puzzle but the front of the box showed a big question mark <laughs> the mystery box what's in the mystery box 
Uh, like it said, Alien, 1979 movie, but it's like a big thing. Uh, parents complained that it was probably too violent to show to kids because it is a violent movie. Why are you selling this to kids? And I guess it was a bigger deal back then. So the commercial is probably very kid-friendly. Like, hey, look, aliens coming to attack us. Yeah, the commercial is like, aliens coming to get us. Let's get out of here. Yeah, you can see it like a uh, Flash Gordon action figure commercial as much as it is. Yeah, but yeah. it's funny when you see that, the way that they're playing, and it's all like this, alien wins again, that kind of thing. Yeah, not, I'm going to kill you. And you look at the actual product, like the monster's actually still really terrifying. For yeah. The doll is actually pretty scary. Like, it's black and horrible and weird and distorted and stuff, so. yeah. It's interesting that it was en- it ended up being sold to kids because like if that thing came around while I was a kid, like if I was there and I was really little, I'd actually be pretty scared of that toy. So it's really scary. It's a scary toy, especially since it's huge. It's a foot and a half. <laughs> it looks it looks too similar to the alien. They did a good job building it. I wonder if it's like really poorly constructed. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily associate Kenner with like quality toy. Uh, yeah, I read that the tail that was advertised whips around and the shooting out the mouth thing. Uh-huh. And they broke apart easily. Oh, but good. it was known for its tail. You can see in the commercial. Oh, past the fuzz, I guess. Classic Kenner. Crap toys. Uh, <laughs> the toy line was going to be a cartoon show, and they even produced it, but it fell through, especially since the toy line didn't do as well. And... The movies saved it, and it was the toy line was resurrected in 1992, based off the second movie before the third movies come out. I feel like the second movie would be more kid friendly. So this thing is just huge, and it never ends. Crossbred with Predator, and we're gonna see it AVP until the end of time. <laughs> yeah, they'll just. But at least the first two are really amazing. Yeah, they're very good films. I think we've spent enough time talking about Alien. So we should move on to the next. <laughs> I like how you refer to it as proper name now. <laughs> that Alien. Uh, yeah, no, we're going to move on to another one. Another important kickoff of a franchise. So if you want to watch this commercial that features a product to come from this film, type in Batman Serial Commercial 1989 80s commercials on YouTube. And you'll watch, you'll be treated to a really good commercial about Batman cereal. <laughs> the adventure continues. Now with Batman, the cereal. And nothing can slow him down. Nothing can stop him from bringing it to you. It's here. A smashing taste. A honey nut flavor, part of your complete breakfast. Batman cereal. So what did you think of that? Do you know what's weird about this this commercial? It it's like in the commercial that guy said like, and nothing can stop him from bringing it to you. Yeah. It's like, is Batman delivering the cereal? Like, is he is he stocking the cereal? Yeah, which is kind of a weird, I don't know, which is kind of weirdly stated, I find. So this is the Batman serial that accompanied the release of the Batman 1989 movie. So the commercial itself kicks off with like showing the, what's the bat, bat plane? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's the bat plane. Right. So it shows the bat plane, the 1980s bat plane, flying through a dark gloomy sky and then it has like a cut into like you know the dirty gotham city gotham city is perpetually disgusting <laughs> this has like green belching green uh sewage popping out of the sewer part yeah there's like green art smell <laughs> so just showing uh, a bunch of shots of the yeah it's just showing just- he's shooting a door and then the Batman serial sitting in the top of Batcave and is this the footage from the film though? Like yeah, every time it's I showing so. Batman and Batmobile, it's okay. So then they just show like uh 
floating shot around the Batman cereal, which the box looks cool. It's like the Batman symbol and it's black. The box is very cool. Like there's no cereal that's black. Like no cereal is a black box. Like it's cool. So it's just basically showing like clips from the movie where he jumps through the glass ceiling and then a cereal bowl with the cereal and there's no kid there, but, and then it has the Batman theme. It says Batman cereal at the end, like in bold yellow letters. The cereal looks exactly like Captain Crunch, so you I think imagine. it tasted like it too. If you never, yes, if you've never had Batman cereal, you never had the opportunity of Batman cereal. It's just Captain Crunch, in the shape, in the vague shape of the bat symbol. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly say that it looks just like a bat, like according to the pictures. One thing I also like about this commercial it looks like a curly fry. <laughs> one thing I find really funny about this commercial is like how much disdain they have for keeping things clean. Because, like, there's a, a shot where, like, a spoon falls right into the cereal and all the cereal just flies out. Flashes out. because like, right. you have, like, a hundred pieces in there already. Like, just floated at the top of the milk. Yeah, but they're all important pieces. Like, you want to eat them. And I believe the voiceover is by Jeff Morrow. Best known to me <laughs> as the voice in the... Super critically acclaimed, not really, video game, War Gods. Okay. What other thing is he known from that isn't just you? <laughs> I guess he, he's just like a voiceover guy, and uh, I think he's a jazz musician. Oh, neat. Okay. Well, he sounds cool. Let's just. But he has a distinctive cool. voice. That's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure he this does. guy. Yeah. Now with Batman, the serial. Midway presents... So, so this film or this commercial that's selling cereal is also subtly selling a film, and that film was Batman 1989. Subtle. It's referred to as Batman 1989. It's not officially called Batman 1989. It's like Sonic 06. What's Sonic 06? Oh, the game. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. You're right. So, like Batman's a cool guy. We all know who Batman is. He was created in 1939 by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Uh, technically, Bob Kane kept credit for the whole time. Bill Finger worked on the character too, but only recently, I think only like 2016, he was officially acknowledged as the co-creator yeah, of Batman. Yeah, this is it. This keeps happening with all these. Like, I think Stan Lee, and, you know, where it's just like, it's actually not this. Because back then, you could take advantage of starving artists. Like, draw for me, I made it. Yeah, draw for me, I've got a huge comic Stan thing. Stan Lee was like, I made Spider-Man, but he just essentially came up with the idea. I was like, how about a boy who's has superpowers the teenagers could like him? And then I think Steve Ditko just made the rest of the stuff, and he's like, I made Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> then he was forever put into every Spider-Man or Marvel movie up until he died. So, well, not Ditko, uh, Lee. So anyway, whether you're Marvel or DC or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Somebody took all the credit at some point. Um, <laughs> so Batman was overshadowed. Like he was a really popular character in 1930s, 40s serials and stuff. Serials as in as in like movie serials, not yeah. like 1980s Batman, Captain Crunch serials. But the and, 50s had that comics backlash that they were bad for kids. So in the 1960s, another Batman came out by Adam West, and it was campy, stupid, kind of fun, but just really dumb. So Batman kind of took this long period of time where he wasn't a cool guy. He was just kind of a guy that sprayed shark repellents and <laughs> said silly phrases and stuff. Like, you can't get rid of a bomb. Yeah, so they, they the Batman wasn't exactly the cool Batman. For a long time, Batman wasn't cool Batman. That was the 1960s up until the 80s. So, like, Batman yeah. spent, like, 20 years being kind of a joke <laughs> character. So um, there was a fella called Michael Uslan who was a fan of the comics, and he started the first comics university course, which had three students. <laughs> so that, that kind of train or that kind of a direction that he took eventually got him in touch with United Artists, um, a studio. He wanted to make a movie about his favorite superhero, Batman, but many studios rejected him until one decided to work with him. Um, so this was all happening in 1979. The movie came out in 1989. So the whole process took a long time. 
the success of Superman helped it along, though. So the 1970s Superman, I think they were all met with pretty positive reviews. I think the first one anyway. Yeah, it was bad. Not the Richard Pryor one, I think. So uh, I think that helped Batman, or I suppose studios become think that comic book characters are probably a bit more palatable or potential box office smashes. Who knows? So... Also, during this kind of time period of this guy trying to work out, hey, someone make a Batman movie that isn't about this movie Batman. <laughs> In the 80s, Batman kind of went through this remorphing period where he became dark. So in 1986, Frank Miller released The Dark Knight Returns, a graphic novel which helped the character have the more dark, tragic roots that he's known for now. And also Killing Joke came out during the 80s. So Batman was really like gritty. So, to match the new dark mood, they hired Tim Burton to direct the film. You know, Tim Burton, the not guy known for grittiness. <laughs> Great, yeah. dark, well, at least darkness, because he's a weird goth man. Yeah, they were just like, who's a dark guy? Yeah, I think Tim Burton might be the dark guy. Like, I think that's a, as close as you can get like to a dark director back then. I don't know. Anyway. so Before they tipping him. over into like, just splatter gore stuff, right, I guess. Yeah. Well, he wanted to make Bruce Wayne, like, make it a psychological movie. Um, so that kind of helped with the direction that Batman 1989 took. Now, it's not the deepest psychological movie, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a far cry from Batman running around with a giant bomb in the shape of a cartoon bomb. So it's fine. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. That one was making fun of the 1930s serial. I guess. So Batman, or excuse me, um, Sam Hamm and Warren Scarron wrote the screenplay kind of in that direction. Tim Burton had worked with Michael Keaton before when they were searching for a Batman. And then he was like, hey, let's use him. He'd worked with him with Beetlejuice, excuse me, on Beetlejuice, which I always forget that Michael Keaton was Beetlejuice. That makeup is like really good. It's just a different character now. <laughs> so he was hired. It was controversial because Michael Keaton had more of a comedy background. So no one was thinking, ooh, gritty Batman, Michael Keaton, the jokester. Speaking of the jokester, many actors wanted to play the Joker, including people like Robin Williams, but the studio had Jack Nicholson in mind since 1980, so he pretty much had had the role if he wanted the role. So Jack Nicholson actually liked the darker psychological tone that the film was taking, so he was on board. And because of his involvement in the film, he elevated the movie in the eyes of the audience and studio as well. So he was written more into the script. So it wasn't just going to be like a cameo appearance or something. As for the female love interest, you know, you can't have a movie without a female love interest, I guess. Mm. Uh, Sean Young of Blade Runner fame got the role of Vicky Vale, who was meant to be the person that Batman falls in love with. But she was injured offset. So she was replaced by Kim Basinger. So the whole film was filmed at Pinewood Studios in England and production design was by Anton First. So they developed the props, the city, the Batmobile was from a Chevy Impala. So if you had a Chevy Impala back then, you were really cool. You'd be a shot caller. Everything was made like in, in reality. You know, obviously it was the 80s. So there was no like kind of CGI. So it was made by this, this, this production designer. So the art direction was so good, it ended up winning an Academy Award, which is fair. It's a really interesting looking film. As for the music, it was done by Danny Elfman, who had worked Elfman. with Burton. Elfman, who had worked with Burton on Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. He was the lead singer of Oingo Boingo. And, <laughs> con you know, his most famous thing probably is doing the theme for The Simpsons. So outside of this, I suppose. So... When it came to other aspects of... And he's Jack. He what? He's Jack, right? Oh, yes. Yes, he is. Nightmare Before Jack. Christmas. That's also true. But I mean, I don't think The Nightmare Before Christmas is as universally known. No, I know. But I'm saying that. I was just saying that. He's, yeah. He's okay. That's fair. So in terms of the other side of music, there was the soundtrack. Like, not the musical score, but the, you know, hey, guys, kids, buy this record. The studio wanted Prince, uh, who also worked in the movie, and Michael Jackson. I think Prince had like a, a music video come out. He's like dressed as a Joker. Yeah. It's like weird logo. It's, it's a weird song. I think Prince the best is Joker is Prince. This is weird. It's like the Batman or do the Bat... I don't remember what it yeah. is, but it's weird. Michael Jackson was never involved, but 
I think Tim Burton didn't really want this to happen, but whatever, it ended up happening. And it ended up being a massive hit, The Prince Song, I think. I can't remember what it's called. I think the soundtrack and the score got two separate releases, and they were both uh, well-received. He... Like, Prince did the Batman album, didn't he, or something like that? Yeah, I think he was. Party Man. That's the name of the stupid... (laughs) (laughs) So when people have have the argument of who is the best Joker, it's Prince. Bat Dance. Bat Dance (laughs) and Party Man. Weird stuff. Just bizarro stuff. Uh, They said they kind of influenced the movie itself. That's why when I first watched it, I was like... Why is the Joker messing up the museum to like some kind of funky thing? I'm like, what? <laughs> Doing that weird little dance? Yeah, it's the whole thing's very strange. I actually feel like this whole connection is really strange. Ended up making a good film, but like Tim Burton, I guess he was dark, but you know, he's kind of weird dark. He's not like, <laughs> I don't know, the Christopher Nolan dark or whatever. Yeah. And then you had Michael Keaton, who was like a comedy guy, and then you have Prince. Which, why would he be involved with Batman? Jack Nicholson popped Jack in Jack Nicholson, <laughs> which is also kind of like, where'd he come from? The whole thing was kind of a weird smorgasbord of varying yeah. pieces and influences. Or and this, this is the movie where the, the Batman theme came about and it's been used in like everything. <laughs> yeah, so you can hear it in the commercial. It's the main one. It's kind of what you think of when you think of Batman. At least I do, or at least a big yeah. fat generation of people. It's probably as big as that Batman. Yeah. I think it was co-written by Shirley Walker, who the, she worked on the animated series, which this movie oh, made greenlit. So, so I think she... Uh, I th- that's definitely in the show, too. So Batman ended up being a bang hat. It was one of the biggest comic book movies made. It made over four hundred million at the box office. It won loads of awards, and it started a franchise, um, which ended with George Clooney's terrible film. <laughs> I liked it; it was enjoyable. There, it was just such a big hit that there was more demand than supply of the various pieces of merchandise. I don't know if that applies to the cereal. I presume that the cereal wasn't in short supply. There's was probably oh. Tim Burton himself, he was like, I didn't know how big it was until I saw the cereal commercial. Like, cereal? Wow. <laughs> I think when I saw the Batman cereal, that's when it hit me. You know. Whoa. But it's like Batman, and Batman is for kids. So it kind yeah. of makes sense to be like, as opposed to Alien, <laughs> it made sense to have a lot of merchandise for kids, even if the movie was a bit tonally dark or, or you know, so yeah, I don't know. That's how I feel about it, but it was really cool. I thought it was really cool. So that's kind of the 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 gist of of the Batman. Well, not the Batman. That's a separate cartoon. I still kind of maybe. Maybe because of my age, yeah, I felt like the second one better, but yeah, this one was... Oh, the second one was... Really it was a freaking big piece of comic book history. Well, this is the first movie I ever saw. <laughs> yeah, did you like the Joker? No, I didn't like any of it. I went to sleep. <laughs> it was the first movie I ever saw. I was too scared, and I went to bed. I so who scared you more, Freddy or the Joker? <laughs> uh, that's a really good press question. I would say probably Freddy scared me more. He's a monster. Yeah, he's horrible. But the Joker, the Joker has the uh, probably the the first thing that ever properly scared me, or at least that I can recall scaring me. So uh, that's nice. That's nice for me. My early experience told me from working for an audience full of children, the more you scare them, the more they like it. Okay, Freddy, Joker, or the Crypt Keeper? All right. <laughs> I'm cry with the Crypt Keeper. All right, so that's Batman and his disgusting cereal. I'm actually getting really <laughs> hungry. I really wish I had that cereal right now. I would eat the crap out of that. I'm going to so go buy Captain, Captain Crunch. Crunch. <laughs> All right. So, so I'm going to give me a Captain Crunch and bite, bite it into the shape of a bat. If you wanna, if you want to uh, get on our good side, please buy us and mail us a Captain Crunch box and yeah, chew off into a bat. It looks like one of those crinkle cuts. It looks yeah, like they don't look right. So, but they probably taste fine. Although Captain Crunch, as I've said many times before, does leave a film on your mouth. 
which which ultimately <laughs> is a good thing because it means that you well it's not a good thing ultimately but in a way it's it's better because then you go oh i have a film you taste it for days it. so you end up stopping eating it because um it's left a film in your mouth all right uh, so beyond films and mouths let's watch another film on tv what so is if, this next commercial if you want to watch this commercial you can find it on youtube under home alone vhs release ad number one 1991 low quality <laughs> mouthful so this is about the first home alone come on everybody sing along home alone home alone <laughs> trick them every way all the fun it is to see two burgers get found home alone the christmas gift of the year 24.98 or five dollars less with pepsi rebate now wasn't that fun rated pg oh my god you could get it for 20 bucks with a pepsi rebate hey you like the you like the I guess your favorite part was the weird voice. <laughs> yeah, I like him. What's Home he doing? Alone, it's cool. Home Alone. Home Alone's here to save the day. Um, so this is a Home Alone VHS commercial where the other ones were related to like products or toys that were close to. Yeah, they were related to the thing. Yeah, this is just straight up by this film. Watch the movie. <laughs> uh, watch the movie. Five back. <laughs> so the film itself, or excuse me, the film, the commercial itself kicks off with. Macaulay Culkin, who I'm pretty sure recorded this just for this film or for this commercial, you say film, and he's got like Christmas gifts and stuff like that, and he's like talking about buying the thing, and then the rest of the commercial is kind of done in sing along format. I don't know if they still do this. I presume they do because I, I haven't really watched sing along <laughs> tapes or whatever since I was a kid. But in sing alongs, they'd show you, days. they'd show you stuff. They'd have the words of the song on state on screen and there would usually be like a bouncing ball or some sort of thing bouncing over the word that was being sung at the time so you could sing along in this version they have home alone home alone and the bouncing ball is the vhs tape so it's just <laughs> bouncing along and it's just showing clips from the film so marv and harry getting their brains burnt out um, <laughs> some guy getting basically disemboweled like it's disaster i know people have commented this on a lot and we commented on that a lot in the um in the home alone 2 episode but uh so violent crazy yeah like it says in the in this commercial it says two burglars get flambéed and it shows the scene in which macaulay culkin's character kevin is putting hot fire poker on the doorknob and then marv or harry touches it and his hand burns it's it's really messed up it's i know i know it's a cliche to say it but sometimes you recognize how intense it could be anyway once <laughs> when the commercial's kind of over it's still showing clips in the back of the film but it shows the home alone tape and the guy says that you can get it for 24.98 or with five dollars off with a pepsi rebate so it's showing you that it's showing you the Pepsi rebate. Yeah. Remember rebates? Remember Pepsi. when you could when you could get something and like well, I think the last time I did a rebate there was like Pizza Hut back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Like oh man, Pizza Hut gave you rebates like all day long. They wanted you be they wanted you to be eating that pizza. So yeah, that's the commercial. It's a stupid commercial. And it does fill me with a little bit of um nostalgia, mainly because of the rebates. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and the commercial ends with like macaulay culkin again talking to screen saying like to watch to, to buy to buy his vhs so he can get more money wasn't that nice what happened to macaulay culkin? i think he got sick of it all like after that like when he was richie rich he was already like i don't want to do yeah, that he was over <laughs> by that point he was probably like two years after uh home alone so he really got sick of it fast yeah, he was already like a teenager. The movie Home Alone, it was released in 1990. It was about a nine-year-old boy who was left behind by his family during Christmas and has to defend his house against two burglars by setting traps and potentially killing them. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've said that, so yeah. The movie was written by John Hughes, who did a lot of popular movies in the 80s most of it a lot of it with the brat pack like 16 candles he did mr mom with michael keaton mr mom weird science ferris bueller's day off pretty in pink 
just a bunch of 80s movies he popped out of his typewriter computer. I think he said he could write a movie in like three days or something. I think he did do that with uh, The Breakfast Club. Oh, wow. So it's like, he just popped out movies day after well, day. I mean, he didn't have to write multiple. He just had to write dialogue, which is, to be fair, uh, quite heavy, but like dialogue, a heavy task. But at least he didn't have to go to different like uh, scenes in new places. It's pretty much just all in that one that one hall. Yeah. And John Hughes asked Chris Columbus to direct. Columbus had written the screenplay for The Goonies, and he had directed uh, some Elvis movie, I forgot. But it didn't do well. But Hughes still was like, hey, get this guy to direct the movie. <laughs> get him to do it. Let him do it. Even though it's probably not how he sounded. <laughs> Culkin was the first kid in mind when he wrote the movie. Macaulay Culkin was first in John Hughes' Uncle Buck with John Candy. Oh, yeah. I've never seen that. But Columbus <laughs> Columbus said he was going to audition others. Modern, known comedian John Mulaney said he was asked to audition, but his parents didn't let him. And probably because John Hughes had some pull and he probably was the best kid, Macaulay Culkin got the role. Best kid. First kid. Uh, <laughs> for the other roles... The other main roles of Harry and Marv, the thieves, John Lovitz and Robert De Niro were asked to be Harry in the movie. But Did he just could. want like somebody from the Goodfellas mm. to be in this movie? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, like you wanted Robert De Niro? I got Joe Pesci. Oh, that movie was later, right? I think it was 1990 as well. So. Well, I mean, if it's being produced at the same time. De Niro, Jeff, and he was. He also asked uh, freaking Ray Liotta. <laughs> no, so John Lovitz or Robert De Niro to be Harry, but they didn't do it. Joe Pesci then agreed. Pesci was more known for violent gangster movies, and I think even after he semi-retired, he just returned for a few uh, Scorsese gangster movies. <laughs> <laughs> so... Pesci was known for the violence and stuff. So he was always cursing in all of his movies. He's always cursing. When you say he was so, known for violence, you mean like violence? Yeah, the, the movies he was in was always mafia movies. So it was violent <laughs> stuff. And he was in Raging Bull, so people punching each other. <laughs> but he wasn't the main guy. That was De Niro. Okay, so yeah, the director said like you had to cut back on the cursing because there's kids here. So he's like, Every time I read something, I have to throw in F words just to make it sound normal. So to compromise whenever he was in pain or getting stabbed or shot or decapitated, he, he was uh, using gibberish like... Yeah, that's true. I feel like I've heard this before. But I feel like that's true. Which made it feel more like a cartoon, too. <laughs> Daniel Stern got the role of Marv, but they said, we have to extend your uh, role from six weeks to eight weeks. It's like, can I get paid more for the two extra weeks? And they're like, no, you're not. I was like, uh, I got to go, I guess. Sorry. So then replaced him with Dan Roebuck, but Dan Roebuck wasn't working well with Joe Pesci, and they asked Stern back. And I was like, okay. And the character of Uncle Frank was written for Kelsey Grammer, but he wasn't in the movie. And it went to... I can see it. I can see it. Well, I like how he played the, <laughs> the second one with the <laughs> cool <laughs> Dirk. Yeah. Cool Dirk. <laughs> yeah. The movie was filmed in a high school gym with the its exterior, a house they found in Chicago. And they filmed it in New Trier High School, which also the Hughes movies, Ferris Bueller and Uncle Buck, were, were, had filming in there. I should watch Uncle Buck. I should it watch seems, all these. It seems John like Hughes it would movies. be a comfy film, but that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe he had a good deal with that gym. I just remember that poster, like they're all behind the door pushing yeah, yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, I want It's the only thing I think of. I don't think of anything else. <laughs> Posters really like etch themselves into my brain for like a few reasons. Probably because of our era was poster heavy. I think one because of Blockbuster. 
and two because movies felt like they stayed around well they did stayed around in, in the theaters longer so like you would just keep seeing sleepwalkers again and again i just love how it was awesome in like the 80s the mid 90s but then the late 90s early 2000s just had those headshots with a thing in the back yeah <laughs> all right so uh yeah they also made fake snow and mixed it with potato flakes but for yep. the big grand scene with the mom coming back they had to wait for real snow oh <laughs> and the end flooded house was set in the school's pool oh that's cool and the movie's given a small budget of 10 million dollars but it went over budget they said it was about 14 oh wow warner brothers had the project but like 14 we're not gonna sorry everyone's gone Get out of here. and then 20th century fox picked it up and then they based some of the traps on cartoons like you see they're slipping on bananas and falling and getting paint cans on their head burning their hands the stunt men were asked for a lot, and one of them, Harry's Fall or something, they were like, we can see the wires, we gotta remove the wires. And then the guy just fell like 20 times on his back. Oh, God! Oh, <laughs> was that one? That part? That's horrible. That's horrendous. Oh, no, that poor man. There was a lot of injuries, and uh, one of the injuries was Macaulay Culkin. Oh. When Harry and Marv have him hanging on the cone hanger at the end, Joe Pesci Harry says he's going to bite off his little fingers one by one. He actually bites him, and Macaulay Culkin still has a scar on his finger. Ooh. Ooh, and wow. It's like, Whoa, that's kind of crazy. I didn't know that. Let me bite an eight-year-old's finger. <laughs> like, don't, John, do don't hurt an eight-year-old. John Candy, as a favor of his friend John Hughes, was there for 23 hours in one day. He was the polka guy, and since he was his friend, he allowed him to improvise a lot. And for the music... Their original composer couldn't do it, and they got John Williams, which ah, uh, what a what a bummer. Made every big movie song. <laughs> oh, it's so good. The music's so good. The man has yeah. like stupid talent. I know it's cliche, as most everything I'm saying is, but it just makes you feel good. Some of his music, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, on the feelings that you're supposed to feel. <laughs> yeah. It made $17 million in opening weekend and number one. It stayed number one for several weeks. The reception was mixed. I think Siskel and Liebert said it sucked, but other people liked it. For nearly three months, Home Alone has stood at the top of the box office charts. Week after week after week, I voted thumbs down on my review. Gene voted thumbs down on his review. Made about $285 million in its run. Macaulay Culkin was paid $110,000 for his role. Oh. But then in the second one, I think it increased exponentially. He was the highest paid actor at the point. I think it was like $45 million maybe. What? I forgot. What I forgot no what way. Was. Listen to the other episode and you can hear what it was. <laughs> the Academy nominated, because of John Williams, nominated it for Best Score and Original Song, but it lost both. No. It became big in Poland after the fall of communism. That's definitely strange. And even today, if they don't play it, some Polish people get mad and they write to the station like, why didn't you play it this time? <laughs> it was John Hughes' highest grossing film. He passed away in 2009 and this is now a Christmas classic. Apparently also especially in Poland. Yeah, we, we have a commonality with Poland and our love of uh, Home Alone. It's something that the two countries can really unite over. Um, so, uh, Screaming child. So we've gone through all of these films, these kicking off of a franchise. Well, maybe not Batman, but like Home Alone was kind of an underdog. Aliens was a bit of an underdog style one because it's just so unknown. So they're kind of cool. So mm -hmm. I think we have some big questions ahead of us. Let's get it going. All right. Okay. So we had <laughs> we had Alien, Toy Alien Man. We had <laughs> Toy Alien Man. We had Batman Serial, and we had Home Alone. Which is your least favorite of the bunch? Least favorite would be I'm guessing Home Alone right now because it's just too blatant of an advertisement. The main star is like, yeah. hey, buy the thing. <laughs> you can even get money back. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's true. We it's also you. trying to sell you Pepsi. 
Yeah, it's just so much shoved in there. I guess the song was kind of cute. And it the song was cute. But again, going back, and it's the same. It's shameless attack, so that's The fact it. that it's like a shameless like push for the video. But also, well, I mean, didn't they sell videos back in the day? This might have been the most creative way to sell a video. You know, so hey, here's video. whatever. The, the, the other thing I was going to say is like kind of really corny is the sing-along bit, but the bouncy ball is the actual VHS tape. So I feel like yeah. that's a bit corny. Um, yeah, I agree with you on that. It's a bit too in your face. I mean, all of these are pretty in your face, but it's a bit too by this VHS. They're very paint can to the face. There's probably some credit to it where in the past it would just be like, the new Disney movies out. So this at least tried to dress it up yeah. in like kind of something. Cute. So this is also your favorite, uh, least favorite. Yeah, also my least favorite. So what's yeah, middle? Favorite. Middle. What's the middle for you? Middle, it would be Batman cereal. As cool as it looks with the bat plane in the bat car and the belching sewage in the city, it's a. Uh, yeah, it's just a basic cereal, but it makes it look cool. It's like freaking sleek black box and Batman being cool, and you eat this food that looks kind of delicious when they plunge that spoon in and everything, and you have your balanced breakfast. But it just part of the balance. black and yellow just looks sleek and cool, and it's Batman, so it's like, hey, I want to eat this Batman cereal. It's, I want to eat. This it's basic, Batman. but it it works. Yeah, like. I this is also my middle one, which is no surprise considering how much I talked about the other one. But um, with this one, what I I liked about it is that I like cereal. <laughs> so it could have been Home Alone cereal, and you would have eaten it. Um, there's nothing. I mean, do you know what? I almost feel like Home Alone should probably be in the middle. It is between Batman and this one because, like, with this one, the only reason. At least Home Alone. Oh, it's tough. I was gonna say at least Home Alone. Even though it was reusing clips, it was kind of doing it in a fun way. This Batman, Batman. one is just like various shots of the serial and like the Batman movie in the back just playing. <laughs> it's actually not that creative, but the only it reason it's awesome. slightly inches ahead for me is because I like the serial and the way they've displayed it is really nice. And it's a black box, which is pretty cool. So yeah, that's that's it. That's the only reason. But in terms of just like the merits of the commercial itself, it's actually not that um, interesting. But so, cereal is interesting. So that's, you know, if the product looks good, then the commercial is doing a decent job. So my favorite would be Alien, starring Alien, <laughs> children. Alien. Um, yeah, this one's good. It just looks, even though on stage, it looked more... Real, like, hey, yeah, kids would like, do this. Oh, let's close the airlock. It's just a blind. I think I already, I think I already detailed why I like it. Yeah, it's just good. Had that little freaking John Denver kid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it does look like John Denver. Yeah, the this one's just kind of fun. The 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 product is really good. Yeah, it looks amazing. It's just interesting to watch kids playing. Alien isn't like this is totally off brand. Like, alien. yeah, no, it's so off brand. It's like Alien shouldn't be going. <laughs> I mean, I get RoboCop. Like RoboCop is super violent, yeah. but I can see how you could whittle that down to children. This one's more like, oh, that's kind of. A, <laughs> it's scary looking too. Yeah, it's um, it's very uh, it's just yeah, the it's product's scary. So okay, so we had the same now. The other question on this is of the products that are being sold, which one would you buy? Which one would I buy? Based off of the commercial, uh, I guess. Based off the commercial. Uh, I'm having trouble because I really enjoy food. I know. know. I'm really so hungry, I, too. I'm <laughs> super hungry. <laughs> the food, showing me food. I could play with the alien. That would probably be one, but I'd go with the food because it's like, I like this food. Food. It's tasty. <laughs> and then how they have it with other food, like toast and orange juice. Like, yeah, I'm having this food. <laughs> I think, no, I'd pick, purely based on the commercial, I would absolutely pick the alien. Because, I mean, look at that thing. Things huge. I know, but that's a, it looks like fun. But for me, it was like the food looked delicious. <laughs> so I guess ask me when I'm not hungry. I know. I'm very hungry, too. And also, like, the box really cool. But, like, just looking at that alien is really cool. 
even if it's cheap, like the tail breaks off. I don't know that. I'm watching this commercial and the tail looks very intact. So I, I, just, I, I just love how they made it like an intelligent creature. Like, I am alien. I have succeeded this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll get you next time. <laughs> so, bonus question. Which movie do you like best out of the three? Uh, I'd say Alien. Oh. Hmm. It's between Alien and The Bat. For me, it's Home Alone. <laughs> it's, it's goofy and stupid. That's why it's throwaway for me. And Home Alone's really comfy. It's Home Alone. It's goofy. It's nice. I think Batman would be at the bottom for me. I like the other Batman more, and also I was partially scarred by this Batman. Uh, Alien's really good. Like, it is really good, but I just I just really like Home Alone. It kind of hits all the notes that you want, and it's got John Wayne. I have a few. I have a few bonus questions. Okay, so the composer. All three of them had really good uh, yeah. guys who composed the scores for those films were really good. Yeah. So, which was your favorite, Jerry Goldsmith, John Williams, John Williams. or Danny Elfman? As John far as the movie goes. As far as the movie goes, John Williams. I guess I'd go with Danny Elfman because that's the one that stuck with me. Like John Williams for this movie was like, doo, 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 doo. it was like okay, no, yeah, like, da, 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 da. yeah, that was the best part, of course. I'll it, go it, with uh, Danny. Like Elfman. I said when I was talking about John Williams, it kind of puts feelings in you when you watch. <laughs> he puts that's feelings makes, in you. Like he does a really uh, good job of doing that. Yeah, the Batman stuff the is feel, a really uh, good theme and really great. But like, I feel like the way John Williams scores edge out is that it like creates some emotion in you that yeah, really yeah. suits whatever it is that you're watching. You're like, Oh, it's like it just sounds, but it felt Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. It's okay. Uncanny. So another question, another one, tall alien toy. Or the second Alien Toys, Batman cereal, Batman Returns cereal, or VHS versus Talkboy? Talkboy. <laughs> yeah, I think of all six, I'd go with the Talkboy. Yeah, absolutely, Talkboy. And it's not even that interesting. It's just, like, my phone does that, but it's yeah. Talkboy. <laughs> all right, so those are all the questions I had. All but, right. Uh, yeah, I liked all these movies. Stay tuned for the next part when each of these franchises has a part four. We're going to make that part three, and then part three is going to be part four. No, don't. And we're going to have to scrape the bottom of the barrel of the commercials because I don't think they have any. Yeah, I was about to say that. I think a bit, the third Batman definitely had commercials, or the fourth yeah. Batman, but the rest of them I'm pretty certain didn't have any merchandise because it was already a failing franchise by that stage. So Yeah. All right, well, that was cool. So... That was cool. Um, thank you for joining us on your on this here journey. If you like us, then subscribe to us on whatever po- podcast platform you listen to on us, and tell your friends because <laughs> we like to we like to talk and talk about commercials. In addition to that, uh, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and we will take your suggestions and make them into a commercial. No, I'm just kidding. Make it into a podcast where we talk about the commercials that you're interested in. So help us out so we can have ideas. (laughs) And that's that. So we'll be back with another selection of finely curated commercials for your listening pleasure in our next episode. So thanks for joining us. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. See ya. Bye.